Hello there. Welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, October 17, 2021, and we're continuing our series called A Flourishing Life. And this Sunday's message is all about family, helping your family flourish. May God bless you as a listener. Well, why don't you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I want you to think about a question for a second, though. I want you to think about how many questions you think you were asked this last week. From Sunday to Sunday, how many questions do you think you were asked this last week? One study in the UK found that kids under the age of four ask about 73 questions a day. Can you imagine the poor mom with three, four kids at home? That would be hard. Research has also found that amid the bombardment of who, why, what, when, where, and how, many parents confess that they end up turning to Google for answers, or they just make something up on the spot, whatever works. When I was a kid, if I asked a question that my mom didn't know, her response to me or to my sister was, call the library. Back then, you could call the central library in Regina and ask them a question, and they would just put the receiver down for a second, and they would go searching for the answer. Uh, Most times, I think they just went to an encyclopedia. How many of you still have a set of encyclopedias at home? A few of you. Any of you encyclopedia salespersons? Anybody ever sell them? Yeah, I heard one, yeah. Okay, well, let's take this back a bit, little bit more then. How many of you were a fuller brush salesman? Any of you? <laughs> okay, okay, well, just dating us here, just trying to figure out how old we all are. But anyway, if you don't know what a fuller brush salesman is, if you are under the age of 50, go look it up on Google. <laughs> Nowadays, we have an enti- the entire world's library on our phones. Isn't that incredible? To think of the advance, like... I, I think we got rid of our encyclopedia set at home. I, I just, I don't think we even have one anymore, but wow, things have changed. Now, I started this series with a question that doesn't get asked much. The question is, what is the most important thing you, ever, you have ever learned in church? And the first couple Sundays, I got you to mull that over a little bit, and then I, I kind of gave you the answer from what I thought was the most important question. That's the privilege I get as a pastor. I get to tell you what my thoughts are on a lot of things, but uh, I feel free to text me or let me know what some of your thoughts are on that. What's the most important question you've ever heard in church? First John chapter 4, verse 16, the answer to the question is God is love. To me, that is the ultimate answer to every question that we come up against as we enter into the scriptures. The answer is God is love. And in a lot of ways, it's now his, it's his name, right? If God is love, then for us to call him love wouldn't be an inappropriate thing. See, everything about you, your spiritual journey, your life's purpose, your whole life is wrapped up in that truth that God is love. And I'll tell you, I bet it's the number one question that you and the people in your life network are asking. It's in the form of this question, though. Does God really love me? Who, has, who hasn't asked that question from time to time in their life? Even after asking Jesus into your heart, I'm sure you voiced that question. God, do you really love me? I also made the claim that All of us want two things in life, really, if you're a believer. You want a personal relationship with 
Jesus with God. And you also want to have those that you care about know God personally as well. And last week's message was all about what needs to happen in me before I can see those that I care about know God, the people in my family, the people who are my friends, my co-workers, my fellow believers here at church, and those around me in the world. That's my life network. And before any of them are ever going to know the love of God for themselves, there's a big part about me knowing that God, that God of love personally first. That's my life network. And let's focus in on God using me then today to transform my family. You know, as I sit down on the weekdays to plan out the services, I I actually plan at least a month or maybe more in advance for each series. And I'm always asking myself two questions as I'm sitting in front of a topic for each week. I always ask, what is the felt need And then I kind of try to assume what you may be thinking about or wanting to know about the topic in question. The second is, what is the desired outcome? What do I want you to get and to do as a result of the topic? And then everything from the sermon to the songs to the scriptures are directed at achieving that outcome. Let me let you in on what the felt need was for today's message. The felt need for today was, I feel like my family isn't flourishing spiritually in the chaos of life. I feel like my family isn't flourishing spiritually in the chaos of life. And see, whether you have young children at home like Pastor Tyler and Michelle, or whether you're an empty nester like me, woohoo! now, whether you have some children at home or not, some of you have never had children. Some of you have children in your life network, though, that you have an influence on. And all of us have family that we care about, family, parents, siblings, extended family. We all have family who know the love of God, and we all have family who don't know the love of God for themselves personally. And the latter is a daily burden that we all share. Some of you have kids that made a profession of faith early in life as kids, And now they're not walking with God. And you're wondering what happened and whether or not anything can be done to bring them back to the Lord. I feel your pain in that. Unfortunately, as I read my Bible, uh, there is no guarantee, no one way or the other, whether or not there's a definitive statement in the Bible about how to get your kids to continue to believe in Jesus. There's no definitive statements in the Bible that says, if you do this or that, then those that you care about will believe in Jesus. Bring up the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb, it's not a promise. But maybe you hung on to it as a promise, but got disappointed with God yourself personally when it didn't go the the way that you had hoped that it would go. So I think that felt need of, I feel like my family isn't flourishing spiritually in the chaos of life is pretty relevant to the felt need of any one of us here today. And any one of us in this game called family can understand it. So the desired outcome for today is this. I I will love my family like Christ loved me in order to help my family flourish. I will love my family like Christ loved me in order to help my family flourish. See, even though there are no guarantees, no 10-step rules to, to, to getting your family and your kids to flourish... 
there is a life network that we're all a part of. And there is things that we can do to encourage our kids to flourish better. 1 John chapter 4 is going to be our text for today again. 1 John 4, today from verse 10 to 12. And turn with me in your Bibles to find that. There are Bibles in your pew. I encourage you to take those and read it through. I encourage you to bring your Bible to church and that you follow along with it. This is God's word. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This passage tells us how God desires to use me to transform my family. Let's get to our first point for today. Number one, be convinced that God loves your loved one and his son died for their redemption. So in your sermon notes, you can write this down. Some of you bring binders or books. That's great. Notebooks. Write this down. Be convinced that God loves your, your loved one and his son died for their redemption. Verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Isn't that good news? That's good news for me and for the people in my family. That means that there is always hope for those we love. Don't ever forget that. For as true as it is for you, while you were still lost in your own sins, it's true for those you love too, even for those who don't know the God of love right now for themselves personally. And it's even true for those who have rejected God's love for now. Do you have family members like that? I don't know why, but there often is, in the Christian community, there is a bit of shame in acknowledging that to one another. But I think humility will break that shame, and it could break a number of bondages in your life. So I want to invite you to send me a text, a message on, at 855-485-1617, if you would like Bonnie and I to join you in praying for your loved one. And you can name them if you wish, or just say son or daughter or, or, or nephew or niece, and we'd be glad to join you in praying for those. Let's read the scripture again, but this time, I'd like for you to put the names of some of those that you love, just one even, who don't know God right now. Put it in the text as a way to bring our hearts into alignment with God's word. You'll see it here next. So you'll see where it says name, just when you read it, read that person's name into it. Verse 10, this is love, not that Johnny loved God, but that God loved Johnny and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for Johnny's sins. You just read that to yourself now and put your loved one's name in there. See, we have to put their names in there. Because we forget that truth sometimes, don't we? Maybe it's because the lifestyle of our loved one seems to be so far from God or maybe because they've rejected our testimony so often and for so long that we've maybe mistakenly come to believe that maybe they're beyond God's redemption. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Amen? God redeemed you, didn't he? 
and God can still redeem them. In case you don't walk in certain circles, there is a new fad of questioning one's faith that seems to be hitting people in their early 20s and maybe in, in their early 30s even. Academics are calling it theological deconstructionism. Have you heard the term before, any of you? One or two? Theological deconstructionism. The, it, it's out there. It's especially big in, in, uh, among that people group. So if you don't hang out with them, you maybe are not hearing it. The trend is popular among kids who've, who've grown up Christian and are now questioning their faith and re-examining and even dismantling their previously held belief systems. Sometimes rejecting commonly held beliefs and practices of the church in favor of new expressions and new beliefs. Some may even continue to to self-identify as a Christian, but others are shedding that designation, that title, because they feel it carries too much bad baggage. Let me say that in many ways, I think it is a good thing when we question our faith. Even question God. Doubts in faith are normal. Re-examining what and why we believe things is good. God has big shoulders. He can handle even our anger. But I would like to caution any of you who are swimming in the stream of deconstructionism. I've been a Christian long enough to see this same kind of thing come up again, happen again and again in the church in the West. It's not a new thing. It just has a new title. Since the 60s and 70s, the world has been trying to figure out the hippie movement and the, world, uh, the church had a counter movement to the hippie movement called the Jesus People Movement. To look at them, they wouldn't look any different than you and me, but there were some differences in practice and belief and a lot of searching, a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. Every generation since has had some peoples within the church who think it is their time and they need to purify and and perfect the church make it better and you know what the church always needs to guard against things like pride and hypocrisy and legalism it certainly needs more holiness and grace and love all the time and so while all these movements do help the church to some degree i caution again those who are swimming in this stream to be careful to be careful that you don't confuse deconstructionism with rebellion. In every good move of God, our enemy, the devil, wants to twist God's people toward rebellion. And he usually has an easy time of it, especially with those who are doubting. I mean, think of your own times of doubting, how the enemy monopolizes on your doubts and twists you even further. The same is true with this this group of people in the church. And what you notice in these modern movements is that there is often a bit of pride in thinking that they're going to figure out what and make better what previous generations of the church couldn't. And so to show they're different uh, and what they dislike, they slowly absorb the popular attitudes and activities of the world and they try to spiritualize them. But if they're not careful, all they're doing is justifying an inner rebellion that is brewing in their hearts. So don't be fooled. We've been through this before as the church. And if you're hearing about it or you've got family members that are engaged in it, don't worry about it. Just pray for their questioning and their doubts. And just because you saw it on TikTok or heard about it on a popular podcast doesn't mean 
that it's right. Search the scriptures for yourself and your doubts will disappear. Or at least you'll grow better for them. So for sure, voice your doubts. Explore why your theology isn't big enough to explain your life experience. But always, and all of us, whether you're swimming in the stream or not, all of us need to guard our hearts from pride and rebellion. And please remember, the church, even with all its faults and failures, is still Christ's bride. We all sin while we were yet sinners. And Jesus loves his bride. And in the same way that you wouldn't allow someone to continue to badmouth your bride, your spouse, be careful not to badmouth the church. Treat her with dignity and respect, and God will honor your pursuit and give you a rich faith in the end. And can I remind you of what's most important? At the end of the day, regardless of what the church has done, God is love. Right? Let's say that together. God is love. God is love. And this is love. 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so as we walk in the sphere of family, we need to be ever mindful that God has not given up on those we love. Even those who are deconstructing or rebelling or rejecting. Be convinced that God loves your loved one and that his son died for their redemption. Okay? This is also how God desires to use me to transform my family. Number two, be mindful that God never stopped loving you, so neither can you stop loving others. Be mindful that God never stopped loving you So neither can you stop loving others. Now you might be thinking to yourself, but I've never stopped loving my loved one. Well, let's see. 1 John 4 verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's break that down a bit, shall we? Since God so loved us. That word so in the original Greek isn't referring to how much God loved us. Like so big. Instead, the word is referencing the way God loved us, the kind of love he loved us with. Since God so loved us, in what way did God love us? He loved us with a sacrificial, atoning, right? He loved us with a sacrificial, forgiving, redemptive, unfailing, persistent kind of love. Praise God. And the command here is that we are to love one another with the same kind of love. Listen, I know you love your family, but in what way have you loved them? There are three common love breakdowns that can take place among family. And I'm not just talking parent to child. I'm talking parent to parent. I'm talking parent to, uh, to nieces and nephews. I'm talking, you know, it just goes down the road. There's, there's three common love breakdowns. The first is assumptive love. Assumptive love. Where we assume those we love just know we love them. For the sake of your relationship with them, and maybe even for the sake of their eternity, you can't assume they know that. And you can't assume that they know that God loves them. It's like if you were an accountant 
by occupation, but you never ever managed anyone's accounts, how would anyone know what you're capable of? In the same way, we could, we could consider it a sin even if we leave them guessing about our love for them and especially about God's love for them. God's love to us was visible and it was vocal, wasn't it? Go to John's gospel in John chapter 1, uh, verse 14 to 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and and is in close relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Our love cannot be assumed. It ought to be vocal, and it needs to be backed up with godly actions. So here's an assignment for you for this next week. Call a loved one who may be distant from God and just remind them that you love them. Try to put it into the conversation that God loves them. Don't assume they know. The second common love breakdown in families is a reserved love. A reserved love. One of the biggest regrets I hear from couples in premarriage counseling and other counseling environments is that although they knew their parents loved them, their parents, especially dad, was reserved in the way he expressed love. This is especially true among certain heritages, and I'll be blunt, among Mennonite heritages. How many movies have you seen where the guy says, well, they know I love them, right? They may see actions you think are loving, but do you say it as well as show it? And do you show it well enough? I'm just going to grab my drink here. Can you hand that to me? Thank you, sir. So if you're to show real love to your family, in the way that God shows his love to us, we need to break free of certain cultural patterns and the uncomfortableness of uttering the words and even the pride that is behind all that. And we need to stop being reserved in how we love. Show them love. Tell them love. Tell them you love them. Hug them. Kiss them. Don't underestimate the power of a touch or an arm around the shoulder. Verbalize those precious, rare words. I love you. People, our families need models of godlike love where he did not withhold even his most precious son from us to show us he loved us. Sacrificial love. The third common love, love breakdown in families is favoritism love. Favoritism love. To God, this one's as nasty as telling your family you, you, it, his, this one's as nasty as never telling your family that you love them. Favoritism love is when you treat certain mem- members of the family more lovingly than other members of your family. Or worse yet, when you treat the believing members of your family, I'm not talking just your kids, even extended family, if you treat them better or more lovingly than you treat the non-believing members of your family. John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, there's that so again, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us all. 
John 4, 11, 1 John 4, 11, dear friends, since God so loved us. In other words, when we were rejecting him, he loved us so. And we also ought to love one another the same way. That's really what this is all about, isn't it? It's about learning to accept those we love. That's really what this is all about. Do you you accept those in your family that don't believe like you do? Can you accept them even if they're living a lifestyle you don't agree with? Since God so loved us, he loved us with a sacrificial, forgiving, redemptive, unfailing, persistent kind of love. For God did not come into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Remember that God never stopped loving your loved ones, and neither should we. Number three, be careful because how you love your loved ones reveals the God of love to them or not. Be careful because how you love your loved ones reveals the God of love to them or not. No one has ever seen God, verse 12, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, this may seem a bit repetitive, but for the benefit of those who've missed the last couple of Sundays, let me review to you what we've learned from God's word so far, because this is really key to allowing God to use me to transform my family by his love. So naturally, we think of it this way. I think of me. There's me in the center of my life network. All the different spheres of influence and activity that make up my life, all that around me. And somehow, I've got to try to bring God, who is on the outside of all that, looking in. I've got to try to bring him, coax him, bribe him to come to the inside uh, and to work on those areas with me. Now, if you're a Christian and you look at your life like this, let me inform you that you are not thinking biblically. You're still looking at life, your life, like you were when you were separated from God, when you were not born again yet. Because now, because of the Spirit of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are now in the center of my life, with me, in me, wanting to work through me. You get that? God in me is now the new arrangement, the new relationship. And that changes things for me, doesn't it? And you know what? That changes everything for your family, too. How? Well, if you consider yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, depends on how you deconstruct that word, then from God's perspective, you've already been transformed into a God-complete person. When God looks at you, he sees you that way. You now share life with the God of the universe because he is in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of that, God is as present and engaged in every part of your life network, in every sphere of influence and activity that makes up your life as you are. Because he is in you and goes with you wherever you go. He is in you when you are anywhere in the world, whether you're in this church building among fellow believers and seekers, whether you're online or whether you're at work or whether you're among friends, and especially when you're among your family those you are usually most intimate with. And if there's anything I could be remembered for as a preacher, it would be this diagram. If I could only ever preach a single message for the rest of my life, it would be this. Because when a Christian gets this new relationship, 
everything changes. And that's when the completeness of God's love becomes perfected in you. And by this new relationship, you become a representative of God to your family. A representative of God to your family. (laughs) That's a pretty big obligation though, isn't it? To live up to. Yeah, and get this. You not only represent God. The implication of these verses is that you may well be the only thing of God that your family sees up close. I mean, think of the world that they live in. There's not much of God represented in our world today. They're certainly not seeing much of it on on social media unless they're following certain individuals that are God-centered. And that's where they're spending most of their time. They're not seeing it at school. We don't see it at work much unless you live in a Christian vocation. You may well be the only thing of God your family sees up close on a daily basis. And the result of verse 12 is no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, and the implication is the God who lives in us then becomes real to them. Does that make sense? You understand what that, that's saying for us? And this has been God's plan for your salvation from the beginning. Not just to get you to heaven. That's a great benefit. But the benefit of being a Christian today is that you get to represent God to all the people in your life network until they see the God of love in you. We're to be just like his son. Not just to save you, but to transform you into what he is. Love incarnate. We're to be just like his son. And so that should make up your daily prayers for the morning, shouldn't it? God's plan is that your love, your actions, your words would be so much like Christ's that your family would never ever be able to say God isn't real. Because I see him in him, in her. So be careful how you love your loved ones. Because how you love them will reveal the God of love to them or not. See, that's the unfortunate reality of living your Christian life like you did when you weren't born again, with God on the outside looking in. If that's how you live, then your family won't see that God is real in you. How can they? Because He isn't. So, what are you doing, Christian mother? Father, daughter, son, brother, sister, grandparent, grandchild, uncle, aunt. It is, obvious to the, is it obvious to those who love you and that, and that you love that God is living in you and working through you? If it isn't, boy, we need to pray hard. We need to get into the book. I hope that you haven't gotten so sidetracked by the world about living for me only that it has deterred you from living for God first in everything so that those in your family aren't confused by what they see in you. If that is you that's consumed with me, you need to repent. It's an old thing. It's an old part of the Christian faith that we try to avoid as much as possible sometimes for whatever reason, but it is the only way to the heart of God and it is to repent. 
to repent. Repentance is the cure for rebellion. If your kids are rebelling, your repentance restores relationships and it reactivates godly love. For those who are deconstructing, that's the theological and practical question that you need to answer too. Are you rebelling? Repentance will bring godly faith to life in you. There may not be any guarantees about how your family will turn out, but if you follow Jesus wholly, if you follow Jesus with your whole life, then your family has a much better chance of seeing that God is real. But I know you will greatly benefit their chances of becoming and staying committed as a follower of Jesus Christ if they see you loving and living and loving like Christ. They may fight you on it. They may continue to reject him and maybe you by extension. But there's always hope for them because God loves them and Christ died for them, right? And he has not given up on them in the same way that he didn't give up on you. But it means that you and I can never stop loving them because if, even if their lifestyle is something that we don't like or can't approve of, we still have to love, always love. It just means that there's more that you and I need to learn about loving like Jesus does, doesn't it? In the weeks to come, we're going to discover what all this looks like in the other areas of our life network, like among our friends and workplace, in the church even. But friends, it always comes down to this. The answer to everyone's question, God is love. Father, your love for us is never ending. It is as eternal as you are because it is part of your nature. It is your nature. You are love. And your son, love incarnate, came to live among us, be with us, to atone for our sins. He came to pay a penalty that we could not pay. And as a result, you proved your love to us. And Lord, in our believing, let us never, ever forget that the motive behind it all is loving God personally and helping those we love, those in our life network, see the love of God for themselves in and through us. Be with us, Lord, in this next week. Allow us to exemplify the love of Christ to everyone we come in contact with. If there's any bridges we've burned, help us to make amends. Help us to repent and help us to move on with them, not opposed to them. We bless you, Lord, for your word. And sometimes it's a hard word to take and to understand and to to wrestle with, especially when we're hurting. But Lord, in our hurt, may we never forget that you are the God of love. You love us. And we hang on to that. We embrace that. We embrace you. And we love you all the same. In Jesus' name.